0: Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the
1: Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to Arkansas AgCast for May 28th. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. This week, we're joined by Arkansas Farm Bureau's Chief Economist, Travis Justice, for a deep look at the impact of the COVID-19 outbreak on the agricultural economy in Arkansas. We follow that with a discussion with Dr. Victor Ford, Vice President for Agriculture and Natural Resources for the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture, about the long-term impacts of the outbreak on production agriculture. First up, Greg Patterson talks to our own Travis Justice about the state of the ag economy in Arkansas during this ongoing period of disruption, hitting a range of topics from food demand and commodity prices to meat processing and more. This is
2: Greg Patterson and on this week's edition of Arkansas AgCast we're talking with Travis Justice. He's the senior ag economist for Farm Bureau and the subject matter today it's kind of Travis it's it's going to be about COVID-19 and the effect on the ag economy here in Arkansas. We're kind of 10 weeks into this and I know it's a uh, a moving target on a daily basis, but to the best of your ability, with what you know right now, how's it affecting uh, Arkansas's ag economy? Well,
3: yes, you're correct in that uh, it it is a bit of a moving target. Uh, It it is also a target, uh, and the implications of it is a situation that uh, we've not seen before in agriculture nor have we seen a uh, a situation like this uh for the overall entire economy as well uh you know i guess you could revert back to world war 2 uh when you had the total economic uh affecting all sectors of the economy but uh, particularly in the ag world we've uh, we've we're facing dynamics in the in the markets uh and facing situations that affect consumers uh producers all sectors so it's it has severe implications for for food demand and therefore impacts uh, those that are producing the food and that's uh, the farm economy as well so we're we're in a uh, situation where uh in, in dynamics in in marketing that uh uh you know this country's not experienced before so trying to predict out of this environment has been difficult Uh, and then plus with the different guidelines and restrictions that that uh, have been implemented and then now they're changing and we're trying to open the economy back up uh, from some of these restrictions so it it just creates different dynamics almost each week here uh that the uh, different sectors of the food chain have to respond to, and uh, and we we've seen uh, uh, some of the uh, you know we've real negative effects that that has had uh, both for producers and consumers.
0: The uh, you know,
3: every sector of agriculture uh, has been impacted uh, in some way, uh, uh, whether it's uh, Livestock production crop production uh traditional row crops uh fruit and vegetable uh, specialty crop uh you know, the timber industry uh there's been all you know as a as a direct result of covid nineteen and the slowdown in consumer behavior whether it be travel restrictions meeting restrictions um Uh, restrictions on restaurants, you know, those have uh, just slowed the economy. As a result, it it has generated uh, uh, hopefully temporarily, but at least a large uh, increase in the number in the unemployment rate in the United States Uh, with a lot of industries and businesses shut down because of COVID restrictions. There's a lot of people uh, that are unemployed now. Well, uh, that in itself, uh, has created different different food demands uh, for those that are employed versus unemployed. Uh, they their food purchasing patterns change, and so that has ripples down through the ag sector as well.
2: Travis, Travis, um, you know this this COVID nineteen probably for the first time in in my memory and your memory. Um, actually, you know, a lot of things happen in agriculture. It's, it's a pretty complicated food chain, and a lot of it happens in the background where the consumer going to the grocery store never really notices or sees the the issue, the pressure point that's causing something in, in the food chain. This is totally different. The consumer actually is seeing differences when they walk into a grocery store, the fact that they can't go to restaurants or, or the fact that, you know, restaurants are just starting to open up. So, so uh, now the consumer sees this front and center and, and how has that uh, affected how things are going, let's say for livestock uh, or row crops or whatever? Well, certainly this,
3: uh, this pandemic has, uh,
4: created
2: at
3: least greater awareness among the consuming public right. of the food supply uh, uh, because of shortages, unavailability, uh, whatever. And so there's more interest in, in the food chain, if you will, because we've had uh, different uh, elements of the food chain that have been uh, impacted. For example, uh, I'll mention in two different cases, in the meat industry, uh this uh, United States at the start of this year, we were poised. We have the had the animal population, the production capacity. We were on pace to have record beef, record pork, and record poultry production in the United States this year, record levels. So the animal inventory, the production chain is there to do that, but due to the uh, to the virus, uh, of course, all those. Uh, animals have to be processed into meat products and delivered and delivered to consumers so but in this process with a number of the meat processing facilities it's it's an intense work environment uh, a lot of people it's a, uh, in those the processing plants that work closely together so we had situations where uh, a number of these employees uh, con- contracted the virus and uh and so in, in there for a period we had a number of plants that had to close and shut down to for worker safety and health uh reasons. Uh, and then some of those stayed off for two weeks. Now they're back on well others have have had to restrict one uh, so now so all that did was limit the capacity to process this record level of protein production that we're poised to do now we can't process it fast enough because the plants that process that meat are not operating at uh, peak efficiency because um, our total overall capacity has been restricted because some plants have closed at least those that are open there's uh, they've had to there's fewer employees there because of employee absenteeism whether they actually have the virus concerned about getting the virus so uh, and then now uh, with the uh, you know the president declared uh, that meat processors are part of the critical infrastructure of this country in order to save the situation where we had to destroy some of these animals uh, so he, so then this requires meat processors to operate but they have to operate in order to um, protect workers. And so uh, bottom line is where they were traditionally operating at 90 to 95% of their meat production capacity, they are currently operating 70 to 75%. So that extra 20% of the capacity, we've had to slow the processing sector down uh, because uh you know for worker protection worker safety uh and so forth so uh, that has created a backlog of these animals that were ready to process there's a backlog of them back at the very on the farms and the production processes before it gets to the processes uh so a backlog of cattle at the same time they're producing less meat uh, The capacity capacity is such that less meat is flowing out of those plants, so it's created some shortages of meat going forward toward consumers. Uh, When the the restrictions first hit, you know, a lot of restaurants closed. Well, in the protein sector, at least half, 50% of all the beef, pork, and poultry are consumed in the United States away from home. So half of the protein supply is consumed at food service, restaurant, establishments. So when you close those, there's plenty of product, but it's in the wrong place. So they, the distribution chain had to change. So instead of sending meat products to restaurants, they're closed. Now we got to redirect our channels and get that, that, those meat products uh, to grocery stores. And so it took a while to get to reorient the, uh, food distribution system. Uh, and in some cases, uh, you know, it, it required some additional type processing, some additional packaging to make it consumer friendly, uh, uh, at grocery stores versus their wholesale packaging that they provide to the restaurants. So it created disruptions there. And, uh, Uh, And then the bottom line back to producers, you know, uh, animal producers, their implication is that there's a backlog of animals and so forth. So they have seen the price for those animals deteriorate significantly. Uh, uh, Cattle prices, for example, are some 30% below where they were just six, seven weeks ago
2: because of this backlog. Uh, Now, now, Travis, let's take a, an example every American can relate to and and this is why when I took my first economy class in college I knew I didn't want to be an economist because <laughs> you're saying the farmer's got a backlog, he's not gonna get he or she are not gonna get a, a real good good price per se because because of these backlogs and whatnot. Yet you have hamburger that's just gone out of sight in the grocery store price-wise, and kind of explain how that all played well, out. Well,
3: one, well, you know, we limit, you know, the uh, the food chain was geared for the the maximum production, you know. Well, when you slow that processing capacity down, then the animals that were scheduled to go to make maintain the food demands of this country uh you, we can't process them fast enough so they're kind of a backlog there at the same time there's less meat coming out of these plants and and then now particularly at grocery stores where you closed restaurants and so the primary outlet for food products is at grocery stores as i said earlier Protein, particularly, we used to get half of it at restaurants and food service, half at grocery stores for eating at home. And now we've gone to, instead of getting half of what we eat at home at grocery stores, we're getting 90% of what we eat at home through grocery store. So the the food demand at grocery stores just spiked because we eliminated the food demand uh, in the restaurant sector. So uh and then with less product coming out because of restriction of our production capacity that's created uh, there's been extra demand for um, for meat products and and then given the the uh, had to redirect distribution and and all the uh, the uh, elements of the food chain here it has created some shortages uh, in, c- in certain isolated places now, they've worked through that pretty much by now, but the other thing, too, uh, people eating at home don't eat the same way they do when they go out to restaurants, and so what was particularly noticeable is uh, on the, uh, the high-quality steaks and high-quality cuts that you normally reserve to eat at restaurants, steak houses, so forth. Well, consumers don't eat that quantity of steak just personal at the grocery store you know and particularly nationwide we've got a lot of people unemployed people a little leery about the economy because of the slowdowns and restrictions so they're basically they're eating a little lower on the price points they're eating a little uh they're economizing if you will on their food purchases and so the the hamburger market just exploded because uh they're buying cheaper cuts because of uncertain economic times. Uh and
2: um So and, so Filet Mignon and Ribeye are less at home. So their hamburger been, goes up. Yeah, there have been
3: some real compared to where they were, some bargain prices on on filets and steaks and so forth, ribeyes and whatever. Uh, yet hamburger price, hamburgers, and and so we see those prices going up because that's where the biggest demand is. Uh, And two, that complicated the at-home eating is that we also closed schools in this country. So now we've got more mouths to feed at home for an extra meal, you know, if Mm -hmm. you will. And so that's just more at-home dining, if you will, that's been forced here. And so – as a result, the the hamburger they can't almost can't make hamburger fast enough. Uh, yet steaks and roast, compared to where they were two months ago, are you know you know that are you know real bargain prices comparatively. And so, uh, uh, so that that ripple has uh, you know that, that's we've seen that implication. the The milk industry, if you will, has some other classic examples. One third of all the dairy products consumed, uh, the milk consumed in the United States, is consumed away from home. That was particularly, uh, uh, people saw that when they closed schools. Right. Closed schools, and you got the school lunch program, and so we just lost a big chunk of the milk demand overnight when we closed schools. So it took a while to redirect that milk into grocery outlets that were normally packaged, and shipped for the school lunch program. With the dairy industry, you know, they milk cows every day. Milk is delivered every day. So now if we have to slow down that processing, what do we do with today's milk if there's not a market for it? Because we've got another supply of milk coming tomorrow. And so it required in, not in Arkansas, but in some section of the country, required them just to dump the milk because there was no place to go with it. Milk is highly perishable, so you couldn't store it uh, conveniently for a, a better time. And so it's created uh where well, they had to, some places for just a short period, they had to dump some milk supplies because there was nowhere to go. Uh, right. Until they redirected the food chain to account for this, uh, Change in the way in food demand and where where we need to get it to to reach consumers. Uh, some well, of the, some of the fruit and vegetable crops uh, face the same situation. Uh, not necessarily in Arkansas, but in the southern United States, their their vegetable production is probably a week or a month and six weeks ahead of ours. That hit about the time the uh, restrictions started. And so, in you know, South Florida, South Texas, Southern California, their vegetables were coming off. Well, right. lost the restaurant market, lost the school market, and so there was times there was there for a brief period there wasn't anywhere to go with those fresh with that fresh produce. So uh, it required just destroying some of the produce crops because there was no no market for it, and so. Uh, but we've tried to. I think we've gone past some of that. Having the same thing happened with animals, uh, we had to, to destroy some chickens uh, in certain sections of some in Arkansas that got caught in the the time when we had to redistribute and, and slow down processes. So it did require disposing of some birds. In the Midwest, there was a situation where they had to destroy some hogs because there was just nowhere to go until they could get the 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 food chain reoriented to the new food demand schemes that uh, this virus has created. All while farmers are suffering in this process because it's their animals that got destroyed, it's their market that went away, and so the the income impact to farmers has has been a, a real shock to the system, you know. And uh, so we've uh, we're trying to pull numbers together, and we've got some numbers on just how big that impact is, uh, these farmers impact it differently, you know, depending on if if and particularly those that whatever crop you're raising if you right. norm, if you normally sell during this period of time, if you normally sell between you know March one and May one, if this is your time to sell, well, this is the time when you're selling into an economy that's been restricted. And so your price is not, has not has been deteriorated greatly. If the prices you received here the last two months or so has been greatly uh, depressed because you're you're selling into a restricted market. And um, so the impact, you know, now for those that that their normal marketing season is not till later this year they've not suffered that income impact yet cuz they hadn't sold their product now when they do sell their product if prices have come back some they may not be hurt as bad but uh, uh but uh, it, we we anticipate you know uh it will take the rest of the year for the food chain to, if that is if nothing else Shocks the system if we have a second wave if if restrictions come back whatever but uh, as as these restrictions on the economy are eased and we try to get back to some state of normal uh, it will take and then people get people off the unemployment roll back to work it will take uh, it will take some time for this economy to readjust back to uh, until uh, for consumers to be comfortable in going out to eat again and going and meeting in groups again, it'll take a while to to get the uh, get consumer response back to, that would help stabilize some of these food demand issues that we're facing now.
2: Travis, you make a real good point there about you know the state of mind of the consumer as to when they're going to be ready to venture out. You know, to restaurants again, or big uh, meeting type groups, sporting events, concerts—the type of things where lots of foods consumed. So, so the the food chain may be back up and running again in sometime in the near future. But h- how long do you think this will stretch as to the consumer wanting to come out of hiding, so to speak? Does that stretch into twenty twenty one, or any guess?
3: Well, you know, everyone has guesses, but that, that's, it's a hard, uh, it's hard to, to predict because we've never faced a situation quite like this before. And so being able to judge, uh, how quickly consumers will respond to this particular market factor. Uh, you know, we, we've had other issues develop over the years and we, uh, uh, you know, it's either production or consumption or other, uh, other issues that challenges that uh, you can almost, you know, anticipate consumer behavior. This situation is creating an environment where it's kind of hard to anticipate consumer. We, we can, we hope we see consumer responses come back, but just how fast that will happen. Given it is a health issue um, is just, you know how long it will take for consumers to feel safe to to get back to normal and so judging the length of time it'll take for for uh, consumers to get back into some sort of safety mode and where they feel comfortable about resuming their normal uh, their normal uh, work travel and uh, recreation habits you know if they will uh if you will um it's hard to predict but you know just uh, common sense would tell you it will take at least the rest of the year to get consumer traffic back uh, uh somewhere approaching normal you know if we don't have anything else that interrupts the, the, the system uh, you know working our way out of this situation depends on the can continue to decline in the, uh, the, uh, the number of cases that have contracted this virus. And, uh, until we get a handle on, um, controlling the virus to some acceptable level, uh, then we start opening back up businesses and, and, uh, but, uh, yeah, we can open them back, but then how fast will consumers react and come back to, to dining out, attending sports events, uh, you know, anticipating the the speed of that consumer response is going to be real difficult. But uh, yeah, that's safe a- to say it will take the you know with uh, with all things uh, going fine, uh it'll take the rest of this year to to even approach getting back to um, to some kind of state of. Uh, uh, progress here, and
2: yes, and that, that's a big if. Obviously, now you've you've explained really well and enlightened uh, our listeners in regards to things happening in livestock and things happening in you know the specialty crop vegetable markets and things like that. What about traditional row crop? Uh, obviously, we're in the planting season still. It's been a wet spring, so a lot of the crops sure. that are normally in the ground there's still a, you know, maybe 20% that still need to go in the ground. But how has this uh, whole COVID thing kind of affected the longer term crops, the ones that get harvested in the fall? Well, uh, again,
3: uh, with some row crops and, uh, you know, we were were poised this year to have – uh, another near record corn crop, another near record soybean crop, the production capacity is there, and, and all the, all the, uh, with planning intentions and other indicators we had, we were poised to have, uh, you know, su- substantial crop, crop production in this, uh, in this country. Uh, and then, of course, this situation developed, and of course, the prices for those products deteriorate as well. For those that normally sell their grain products during this period, they face lower prices. What impacted some of the crop price corn is a classic example. One third of all the corn produced in the United States is used for ethanol production. And we know what happened to oil prices. <laughs> and with oil prices going to near rock bottom prices, uh, that the, so the value of that corn for ethanol fuel production went down as well, and so uh, corn prices dropped thirty, forty percent during this period too because wow. they they lost the value of that corn, uh, that was the built-in value in that corn for fuel production. So that has been the biggest shock to corn, is just because of the their relationship with oil, and then we have uh, with travel restrictions we're not consuming as much petroleum products because people aren't traveling we're not flying we're not driving and so the fuel demand you know was restricted and so with uh with us at near record petroleum production uh uh, in the united states we've got uh, we're so self-sufficient in fuel production and then you had ethanol too well when you stopped travel we stopped consumption Uh, so there was a glut of oil on the the market and and prices deteriorated uh, uh, for oil we all know what gasoline prices have done well a certain element of that is ethanol and uh, ethanol comes from corn so corn prices went down too so farmers saw corn prices lower because the ethanol demand was highly restricted uh, soybeans a little bit the same, not as much, but uh, portion uh, uh, approaching ten percent of the soybeans produced is used to produce soy diesel, to a fuel oil. So, the biggest price mover for soybeans has been the loss of the fuel market in them. Uh, now, a lot of those uh, products are uh, traditional grain products. A significant quantity of those are exported. We export right. a lot of corn, soybeans, wheat, uh, and so forth. And so uh, the export markets uh, ha- are still operating, and we export a lot of protein products as well. But uh, the export markets, the exports are still flowing, although they've slowed some uh, because of uh, health concerns. Uh not because, not necessarily U.S. ports, but some of the foreign ports have had, you know, restrictions for worker safety and so forth that people operating at, at ports. So if you consider grain coming in and getting distributed in a country, it has to go through the port, that's the processing that they have to have. So they've been restricted in some of the port operations just because of employee safety uh, due to this now they've adjusted the properly there, but there's been a little bit of a slowdown. And with the, this being a world COVID pandemic, uh, all nations in the world have, have faced some challenges here. And so it just resulted in some of the exp- exports are still moving, although not as efficient as they used to because of the, the virus concerns, but uh, they, we'd still see export markets, uh, 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 flowing, um, uh, and then of course a lot, uh, big element in some of the, these products is, uh, is shipments to China. A lot of soybeans, a lot of pork goes to China. And, uh, of course we all know what the Chinese relationship here. We did sign a new trade deal with China, but then China's whole in the overall virus situation is, is highly sensitive right now. And so, uh, uh, it's kind of yet to see if that's going to have some long-term implications to our normal trade patterns with with that country. Our uh, right. normal trade patterns with uh, with other major customers are still intact and flowing. Uh, you know, we just signed a major deal with uh, the new NAFTA program, the, <clears throat> the OSMCA, the agreement between U.S., Canada, Mexico that was just finally agreed to uh, earlier in the year, and. So that trade uh, has had been interrupted slightly due to, to the disease concerns, but that that trade is uh, it, trade is continuing, although it's had a little bit of a slowdown depending on what the product is uh, as we move here. So, uh, so back on the question of crops, you know, crop prices have been depressed some because just we didn't lose the market; it's just been slowed down a little bit because of shipping concerns. We did lose the market with those uh, those crops that are intertwined with the fuel uh, with their fuel production values, and so those have been um, have been a challenge here uh, for those, and then the ones that have seen it directly are those that tr- traditionally they may harvest their crop last fall, but they sell it during the spring. You know, store it and sell it in the spring. Well, if that this was the time when they sold their product, they experienced directly that price loss. And and um, and then the other thing with the crop people, uh, of course, it's time to plant, uh, and right. we've had an extremely wet spring. Uh, we've probably had wetter springs, but it was wet, stayed wet, and then it, then it, it dried up, and we got the crop in. Here we've had just continuous weekly rains just stretched out here for nearly two months. And so it's been really intermittent in our farmers' ability to get the crop in the ground uh, because having to dodge all the different rain events that's happened. And this has been a prolonged rainy season, if you will, which has created some difficulty. And and so our planting progress is uh, you know 20% below normal on it, just getting the crop in the ground because of weather concerns. Yeah, I'm,
2: I'm sitting here right now doing this interview with you. You're on, at a remote site, and I'm watching the rain come down. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Fortunately,
2: so it's uh, now, You know, farmers are used to,
3: you know, they have to deal with weather issues every year either too wet, too dry, too hot, too cold, you exactly. know, exactly. So that is uh, that is a risk that uh, the farm sector faces and has had to live with, you know, wherever nothing we can do to change it. So they, the farmers are good at adapting and making do. And so that's challenging challenge enough. And then for a number of the commodities, crops particularly, uh, we're just fresh off last fall, uh, last year of the uh, implications that uh, some of our crops faced with the tariff wars, the tariff uh, battles with China and other countries uh, sure. uh, because of other trade negotiations and so forth. We had the, the tariff issue, which impacted our ability to ship products overseas. And then we finally got that somewhat resolved. And then now we, uh, we have the COVID crisis that hits. And then now adjusting to that, well, on, now on top of that, we've got what well, uh, – unusual weather concerns. So it's been a, a real tough year for some of our commodities uh, uh, facing all these various uh, challenges uh, that are natural, uh, man-made or naturally the one. It's still uh, It's been a real depressed situation price-wise for a number of our commodities for a long time here because of the implications of all these uh, significant market factors, be it weather, be it uh, virus be it trade negotiations uh and then some of the other traditional risks that farmers face so it's been extremely challenging um and um, so some some commodities some of our crops have faced these challenges and now we we just got one more called COVID-19 that we've got uh, that's been a, served as a price depressing uh, uh implications here for the whole economy and uh, you know, and some sectors of ag have been affected more than others, depending on their role in the food chain. You know? and, and,
2: so, uh, so are you, are you pulling your hair out as an ag economist? trying to Well, figure it, out yeah, it sure, sir, yeah. <laughs> well,
3: yeah. And it's, it's, you know, okay. You know, traditionally, okay. We, we put a number on it. Uh, well, we can put some numbers on it now, but, uh, uh, I can't tell you what the impact's going to be for this year because this year's not out yet and the rules make sure. change again. Sure. And so, uh, but we do know, well, the one thing that is, and we're dealing with that currently is, uh, you know, the government has passed some, uh, financial relief measures for the economy. You've got the right. payroll protection plan to help small businesses, uh, you've got some large businesses that qualify for some financial assistance because of the virus uh of some of these uh, relief uh, funds uh, uh there's been 19 billion dollars uh dollars 19 billion dollars designated for agriculture sure so there's a program rolling out now for uh, for ag producers who have suffered price losses during this uh, first quarter of the year uh that uh, you can sign up and get some financial relief to compensate for for loss for price losses here if you've had to sell uh, well specifically if you sold product between January fifteenth and April fifteenth that uh you show a price loss of over five percent which a lot of most commodities can. Then there's some uh, some uh, financial uh, relief funds coming flowing from uh, congressional from government uh, tra- coffers to uh, help uh, alleviate the pressure or at least uh, provide some financial relief to the farm sector. Uh, you know they're doing the same thing, you know, kind of historic. They passed a three trillion dollar relief package. Well, that's that's the same size as our annual federal budget, you know, so they just double their federal budget, you know, uh, right. all all going out in relief. So there's some attempt to, from the government to provide some financial relief to all sectors of the economy, including agriculture. Agriculture, particularly some of the crops and, and pork, for example, uh, last year uh, there, there was a government response because... Uh, well particularly soybeans and corn or soybeans and pork and a few other crops uh, were the bore the primary brunt of the trade uh, problems with China through by the tariff force and so there was a government uh, uh, government reaction there to provide financial relief to soybeans and pork and some other commodities because of the tariff war impact. And then, so that was done uh, last year, and then now there's a government financial relief coming for for most ag sectors here because of the uh, the artificial shutdowns of the economy uh, in response to the virus uh, to provide some financial relief. There, so the revenue they lost by deteriorating prices, there's been some attempt to at least provide some financial relief to try to sustain the uh, Folks in business, uh, as we uh, work through this uh, pandemic and and all the uh, the restrictions that we've had to face uh, for human health concerns.
2: Travis, any anything else you would want to add in this conversation? Well, uh, I guess from an an overall from an overall
3: perspective, uh, you know, the agriculture sector is uh, is is still functioning. You know, farmers, the people on the ground, are actually producing animals, producing food, uh, food crops, producing uh, grain crops. Uh, you know, our production capacity has not been uh, affected. Our profitability has been affected. Our ability to process and deliver food to consumers has been interrupted. We're facing challenges there, but as far as farmers are still working, uh, the farms are still intact. We still have the capacity to deliver, and farmers work every day to provide food for America's tables. Uh, It's just the uh, restrictions and the complications created here has just interfered with uh, the different elements of this food chain beyond the farm gate that has uh, created uh, some problems in getting that food delivered to the right places at the right time. And and so uh, I think consumers, given all the uh, recognition of what the issues we face just in the food supply, you know, consumers have, you know, just by watching the news and other media reports, uh, they've become more aware of the different elements of this food chain. Absolutely. Farmers are still there, and you know, and farmers are still working all that. But uh, it's a, the whole food chain is an inter- interrelated chain here. Uh, one chain, one link depends on the next, and so uh, when you uh, restrict or break a link, it uh, the, it uh, creates implications, negative implications going back down to the farm level. Uh, and then negative implication for consumers going from uh, going towards them. them. So, uh, so uh, the, overall, oh, agriculture is uh, you know is committed, and that's that's our our purpose, that's our goal is to produce crops and livestock and food for America and the world. And uh, we're still that sector is not broken. It's the elements of the food chain. And the market demand and forces that has been created by this uh, response to the virus that has interrupted the, the flow of products to consumers, and uh, and I think consumers generally are aware of that. They certainly became aware of it because they've never asked why why there's no hamburger on the foods this week, you know, and they've never seen that before. Well, you know, in learning why, it's, it's, it's provided agriculture with an opportunity here to uh, explain the food system, to explain the positive role that agriculture plays in society, and uh, I think uh, I agriculture has gained a greater appreciation from the general public, at least awareness of of the food chain and hopefully a better appreciation for the role farmers are playing in the, in, in, uh, in, in what they do in feeding the world, feeding and clothing the world. So,
2: so. um, uh, Well, you're, you're absolutely right there. I mean, our farmers where many Americans have been, you know, restricted or, or working from their homes, you know, inside their homes, farmers get up in their home every day and hit the fields and, and hit the barns and hit the dairy uh, uh, areas and all the places to produce food. And we're proud of them for that. And they've done a well, job.
3: Uh,
2: yeah, I would comment that, well, you know, farmers created
3: social distancing. <laughs> that's what, they, I mean, they just didn't know what to call it, you know, because uh, they, they're out there, you know, on their farms. They're, they're, it's not a social event, farming, you know. And so they are doing their job there. And, and so uh, – uh, and they, uh you know that that sector of the food chain uh, the farming and production sector is uh, is viable and they have continued throughout this uh and uh it's, if we can work through the disruptions in the, the processing and delivery system and getting food to consumers, uh, we're working through that and hopefully uh, as we progress here in the next few months uh that you know, the uh, these restrictions will ease, and then and then hopefully consumers will respond back to uh, to creating some more normal, predictable food consumption patterns. And if we have some some uh, predictable food consumption patterns, then we can adjust and make sure we have appropriate food production patterns to match it. You know, so.
2: Well, he's Travis Justice, Senior Ag Economist for Arkansas Farm Bureau, and Travis, you've done a great job just kind of telling that complicated story of the whole ag food chain. Uh, We are proud of our farmers that they're out there still working, and thank you so much
1: for sitting down
2: with us on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. We appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Next, Ken Moore talks to Victor Ford of the University of Arkansas Division of Agriculture and gets his perspective on the problems caused by the COVID-19 crisis and what it could mean in the long term.
0: Welcome to this edition of Arkansas AgCast. I'm Ken Moore, and this week I uh, am speaking with a good friend, uh, Dr. Vic Ford. Uh, Dr. Ford is Associate Director of Agriculture and Natural Resources for the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture and uh, Dr. Ford, it's good to talk with you. I haven't spoken to you in several months since this pandemic broke out, and uh, I appreciate you visiting with us today.
4: Hello, Ken. Glad to be here. Uh, I'm stuck here in uh, my house in the back office and uh, don't get to talk to a lot of folks except on the phone or or by Zoom conferences, and being able to reach out and and, and give some information to folks and have a good conversation is, is really a welcome break for me. Well, I'm
0: glad. I'm glad we connected. I always look forward to being with you at our uh, meetings that we have each year uh, with the Division of Agriculture that uh, Farm Bureau partners with, and uh, and so and I appreciate your insights. Uh, we've covered the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic on different phases, different sectors of agriculture over the last couple of months, uh, and we will continue to do so. But uh, I know you're monitoring as well for the Division of Agriculture, along with Dr. Mark Cochran and the other faculty members there uh Dr. Ford, yes let's kind of look at it from a little different perspective long term you know, as people go back to work uh across the state of Arkansas and across the country uh states are reopening uh, somewhat uh here, and certainly that's happening in Arkansas, but the effects on agriculture are gonna be felt for. You know, many many months to come. Unfortunately, can you kind of update us uh, from your perspective on how you think uh, the long-term effects will be? Especially and talk about. Let's talk first of all on animal agriculture, the protein sector. How? What are going to be the long-term effects? Because uh, prices are down for beef, uh, for cattle. Uh, it's affecting poultry growers in, in a difficult way, and even uh, swine producers. What are the long-term effects going to be, and how long do you think it will take for you know, the, those markets to recover?
4: I think that's a, that's a wonderful question. And we're looking uh, at, at the farmer's side, but the bottleneck right now is the processor side, and that's with all animal agriculture right now. We've gone to much larger facilities instead of the small facilities. And what happens is that when one of these things slow down or shuts down, that backs up the supply there. We've got animals, uh, whether it's a, a hog going into pork production, whether it's a cow going into beef production, or or a chicken going into poultry production. That they're on a schedule, and when they can't they can't meet that schedule, what happens is that it's a it's a, it's a commodity that gets too big to be processed. It's too big to get that quality price. The prices go down. Uh, the demand goes down, and you produce a, a, a poor quality product that the consumer is expecting. You know, we're seeing empty shelves uh, of meat at the grocery store, but the problem is is not the supply, but the processing getting from, from the farm to the consumer. So I think that sector is going to be uh, affected for for at least a year and maybe longer. Uh, one of the interesting things I'm looking at in terms of, uh, the sectors we're, we're working with is, is that there's a lot more folks, uh, you've got folk poultry out of this, but a lot more folks that's going to direct farm selling to the consumer using a locally, uh, a butcher shop or processing plant facilities. And, uh, Taking the animal and processing it and, and giving it to people to put in their freezers and I'm seeing a lot more of that and in fact, uh, I believe next week uh, the division is putting on a uh, a uh, direct sale to the to the public from the farm on uh, protein products so it'd be interesting to see what our experts say of that and see if they think the same thing that I am thinking but uh, what I see is a, is a very much a backup. Till we get a labor source that's more confidence in terms of being COVID resistant, I think the the facilities are having trouble keeping people healthy and keeping the process going. And I think that that delay in coming to the to the supermarkets is going to be a, 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 at least seven or eight months away. Now, as things get better as the summer wears on. I think you're going to see a blip in production. My biggest question is what happens in October and November if there's not a vaccine readily available to the general public, if we're going to see a resurgence of the numbers we saw, say, in in March. Well, let's hope we don't see
0: a a second wave of of the pandemic, if you will, of the virus uh, being spread as people – you know, kind of resume a somewhat normal lifestyle. Uh, People have to continue to practice distancing. But, uh, you know, in processing plants, uh, it requires so many people, so many of these plants Mm -hmm. employ hundreds. And as we've already reported and seen, uh, there are those who are infected and they have to leave. But then there's others that are not infected, but they are afraid to go to work. And so they're staying home voluntarily. And that's slowing down the processing of our protein products,
4: that that's that is that is uh, a, a a the scenario in a nutshell, or we have somebody who's exposed at work that has to go on a 14-day quarantine. So you know there there's there's all sorts of scenarios in there that reduces the labor force, so that so that again the bottleneck uh, coming from the farm, which is an overabundance of supply. Going into the supermarket, which is a which is an undersupply, so we're seeing you know uh, almost looks like record low uh, farm prices, but we're seeing really higher than normal uh, supermarket prices, and again it has to do with the availability coming coming into the uh, to the supermarkets.
0: Well, uh, in years past, because of other different types of events, you see. Uh, higher wholesale and retail prices on, on food products, uh, not health-related. But in this case, it's really no one's fault when consumers go no. and they see the price of ground beef or beef products or poultry products two and three times higher than they're accustomed to. It's, we, it's just a problem in the supply chain.
4: It's a problem supply chain, but you also have to look at the, 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 the um, effect on people who are not working, and or their 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 revenue has been decreased by the number of hours being decreased and there's tightening on the budgets and then you're getting an increase in food costs so there's a there's a there's a a social economic impact to those folks who are in that situation so we're looking at at, at less ex, last expendable income and more income being spent for food. And I think that's going to be a longer-term fix than I think the supply will be.
0: And yet uh, I want to talk about how the uh, federal government and even our, our state legislators up to a smaller degree have responded, uh, in my mind, admirably trying to, and, and the Department of Agriculture, uh, to helping support our farm and ranch producers. Uh, Talk about uh, the critical need for that, but that's putting a strain on uh, our federal resources as well because they're having to approve these uh, disaster packages to keep our farmers and ranchers going.
4: Yes, and that's extremely critical. And this is something else that we're we're talking about. We're talking not only about animal agriculture now, but expanding it out to all phases of agriculture is that Input costs have not changed and are, are very high, but we're getting their commodity prices at the farm are are, are are decreasing, and what it is is putting putting stress on the financial stability of those farms. These um, revenue um, feeding back to the farm from from these packages, these 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 helping helping the farmers make ends meet, helping them to meet uh, uh, their obligations. In terms of keeping the farm in business, but as we as we look at this, it's putting a lot of stress on a lot of farms and you tend to low commodity prices and an inability to get rid of your product in with this rain uh, pattern we're in, very similar to what we had last year, stressing uh, whether it's hay production or grain production, we're looking at really hard times of getting into the fields getting that getting that out so two years in a row not only if you just take the pandemic out of it farm revenue is going to be is really stressed because of the weather pattern and throwing this pandemic cost into uh the revenue pattern is almost tipping brink to some of the farms for being financially stable and thank goodness for some of the government uh assistance but that's going to keep keep us on for a little while but even in with the assistance i'm more concerned with the, the health of the farm family we yes. talked about earlier about somebody coming in and, and and not having enough hours high price of of of, uh, of uh, food but we're looking now at a, at a stressful situation where farmers with a lot of a lot of debt because that's the way we have to farm now we're looking at lower commodity prices for a couple you know for a couple of years and and very expensive way of getting I call it mudding the crops into the fields and we're looking at a a tremendous mental health impact to the farmer and to the farm family so the the personal cost sometimes is not attributed when we talk about economic analysis but I think the stress level on our farmers today may be as high as high as any in our in. The history we can remember Does
0: the division of agriculture uh have and i know through the offices uh and even specialists on the state level provide uh, counseling i mean this is not something that's brand new although as you just said i think the stress level on our producers may be higher now than it has ever been there's a, we know that uh Agricultural production is a risky business, and uh, it's a very costly business. They they have to always year after year deal with the effects of the weather, whether it be drought or too much rain or flood, uh, to to produce what they do. But are there counselors and and, and what type of support it, c- is available to reach out to them?
4: Uh, we're actually we actually started this a couple of years ago, Dan, and. Uh, we have a specialist in, in family consumer science who is a an expert in in families and in mental health and that kind of thing. And she saw this come along, so she's she has uh, gravitated and cooperating with other states and have produced a um, manual and some some information out there for farmers for agriculture producers how to survive mental stress and then more we're defined from help. And because our society may have a perceived stigma on somebody looking for help, what we've tried is to make this as uh confidential as it. we in fact we don't even, you know, register people or anything else with this. We just have the literature out there at the county offices. In fact, several county offices has kind of put that literature out where people walk by, but nobody can see somebody pick up the literature. So what we're trying to do is try and get this information out to folks. Hey, there is help. You're not by yourself. It's not the end of the world. How do we get through this? And giving somebody some hope to get through this can can take a lot of that stress off and all the, the problems we have with stress. I'm, I'm, I look across the country, and, and, and not necessarily Arkansas, and we're seeing the rates of farmer suicide last year going up. Uh looking at the rate of foreclosures going up. There are, you know, you can you can imagine the stress of having a an enterprise that's that's that is you and all of a sudden it's 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 in this dire strait. And it not only affects the, the producer, but it affects the whole family. So we're we're hoping that we can we can help if we can help one person with this program, to me this program is is is, is worth it. And being able to 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 keep people on the farm keep people doing what they want to do, and i think is is right now the best thing we can do with the, with, with the situation that we're in and you know we're all stressed out for, from some of the things we have to do to deal with this this pandemic but one of the things that we we have to do is at least find place places where we can help agriculture producers yes sir Certainly. Uh, These are
0: unprecedented times, Uh, you know, and I've talked to other farmers and ranchers uh, over the last couple of months and some of your specialists. I used the term when I was speaking to Jared Hardkey a couple of months ago. I said, Jared, it's deja vu all over again with the weather because I interviewed him a year ago about the planting delays and, and all of that, getting our crops in the ground with the excessive rainfall. You know, and we're seeing, I think, some significant changes in our local climate across the mid south. It just seems like we can count on summer months, and even during planting season, you need a little bit of rain, of course, and that comes with it. But uh, not just every two or three days, and then flooding rains. And uh, these are just difficult times. People that are not involved in the production agriculture industry uh, don't know exactly. Don't, they cannot relate to exactly the pressure that puts on the producer to put food on our table.
4: No, no, that's that's a, that's a that's a great comment. Is that the the undue stress is is is, is almost unbelievable. Um, you know, uh, we 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 talk about you know the farm families having being people of, of faith because they have to put a faith put something in the ground so they can grow and and, and be able to do that again next year. And one of the things that we're we're concerned with is that is that if we don't protect the American farmer, that's again that's another strategic resource in this country that we have to have to feed the public. And we, to me, keeping those farmers going and keeping them in business is paramount to the security of any nation. And so, what's really what we're 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 thinking about and talking about is how do we how do we keep this going. And um, nobody talks about, because you, you, when we talk about, you know, government government pa- payments or, or we talk about the, the stress in, in the markets and that kind of thing, that's kind of a 40,000-foot view. But if you want to get down up close and personal with somebody going through this stress, like you have, Ken, like I have, is that it's unbelievable the amount of of uh, pressure, the amount of uh Worry the amount of not only on the on, on the farmer, you know, I, I say the family because we have to we have to treat the whole family because the whole family is into it. These businesses are family farms. These are small businesses, and we're just I'm I'm just concerned because the high capital intensive business that we're in is that is that you know how many years can you not make a crop and still stay in business? And that's kind of where where we're going from, and that that's with with Um, You know, delays in poultry, I talked to my poultry producers, and they're cutting back on the number of cycles in a year, so that's going to be declining revenue for those poultry producers. The beef cattle people not being able to get rid of the beef cattle when they're ready to be sold, having to hold them, cattle have to be fed, there's a cost to hold those, worrying about if they're going to be too big to process, so that's another worry. Uh, being able to plant, been able to get the crop out, like we just went through, um, I, I'm, I consider myself fortunate not to be in the Midwest because I saw a, a picture on on uh, Twitter that they had the combine going through it, cutting in last year's crop while they were planting this year's crop, and it was snowing. Oh wow! So, so it was kind of an interesting picture, oh, but wow. you know, but you know we're. We're looking at at unprecedented weather. we're looking at unprecedented conditions, and like I tell folks, there's a lot at the end of the tunnel you know step by step, look for the help, look for the ways that we can get through this, and then being able when when things get into that point where we, which we know they'll turn around, being able to capture. To capture that turn that turnaround and being able to do what we do do best is produce uh, food for this country and for the world really. so you know keeping our keeping our 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 uh, view for the long term and not for the short term. And I think that's the best thing we can the advice that we can give people is that you know this too shall pass uh, um, we were when we were uh, looking at record high, record high beef cattle prices. And we were getting drought checks, and that's not been that long ago, kid, maybe uh, 18 years ago we were telling folks to take that money and plan for when we have conditions like this, and a lot of folks did. So this is kind of what we're we're thinking is that we know there are going to be good times, we know there are going to be bad times, and how we spend money during the good times is going to help us get through the bad times. And uh, an old economist told me one time is that the reasons farm – Farms go broke a lot of times. Is not what they did during the stressful times. Is what they did during the good times.
0: Wow, so, very well said,
4: and and that's wise. That's
0: that's wisdom. You gotta anticipate, you know, days like this, even though you don't know when they're gonna come.
4: No, and and that's and I think that's I think that's that's smart. That's whether you're a small producer or whether you're a large producer. And being able to, being able to take those and, and do and do the things that you think you can do, I talked to you know some of some of the, my uh, my agriculture producers that I interact real frequently with are some of the smartest people I've ever worked with, and they all have a a, a extremely good instinct about about how to get through these things. And 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 um, I, I, most of them again I'll I'll say that most of them are probably a little pessimistic. But uh, you get burned several times, I think you get a little pessimistic, and that's how they survive these times, is that, yeah, I got good good returns this year, but it won't be that way next year. So being able to sit there and plan and looking and looking how to keep your enterprise going, I think is just as important as putting on the right amount of fertilizer, uh, putting out the right, right varieties. um you know, those are the, those are important, but I think being able to look at that plan, that financial planning from year to year in a long-term view, I think, is just as important. And I think um, we sometimes we, we we look, you know, um, I, I always call it, maybe we call this was, was conversation we're having, looking at 40,000 feet but remembering what's up close and personal. And I think that's the two things that we really have to think about when we talk about about the farm economy is looking at, how this is going to go in the future, how long is this, this, this bad period to time, but also what what stress we have there and being able to address both those issues.
0: And, you know, something that's really encouraged me, uh, and it's unfortunate that we have this need to do this on such a large scale this year, with the benevolence of the American people. Uh, oh. You see the demand putting on the food banks, uh, Feeding America, uh, and even locally here through our Arkansas Food Bank, uh, how people, we, we have an abundance if we can just get it processed. We're not going to be food deficient. We, we 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 are in the best country in the world in uh, our ability to produce food to feed the people of this country. And yet we've got to get it to the food bank because of the large unemployment numbers of people out of work that are depending on the benevolence of their neighbors. And uh, so it's, Incumbent upon our farmers and ranchers to try to produce it, not just for the supermarket, but to be able to donate it to food banks and others who, yes. who are
4: out of work. I'm, I'm 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 here I'm here looking in the in my, in my backyard. Uh, when my wife and I got first married uh, uh, eight years ago, um, we uh, she's told me I was going to put a garden here in the backyard. She says, "No, we're not really garden people." And I go, "Okay." Now this year she has four uh raised beds and she's growing her garden and spends i spent a lot of time out there since I've been here at her home in the evenings and I talked to a lot of people that are doing it and we're calling and a lot of people call them the victory gardens being able to produce your own food that way you don't have to put that, that large demand on on the grocery store and folks can that need that can get that but also the I've seen a lot of folks in, in the food banks uh, they'll go through and say, okay, we need need uh, uh, legumes this week, so the people bring it in the beans of different kinds of peas or whatever, and bring it into that, or peanut butter, or or paper goods, and 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 these people, and I'm looking here locally, but I'm looking, at this also across the state, really talk about you know needing these, and the, and the public uh, is just really responding to that, and I think you're going to see that in the summer. I think you're going to see a lot of donations from. People's Victory Gardens. I think you're going to see a lot of donations. Excuse me from the agriculture producers. I think you're going to see. I think you're going to see this. I'm. I'm just amazed at, at the generosity of the American people, and particularly uh, people in Arkansas. Uh, you know, the, these are you know these folks uh, uh, are are the salt you know the salt of the earth. One of the reasons I came back to work in Arkansas is because the people are such generous and open people. And being able to 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 help folks, you know, uh, increase the quality of their lives is one of the, what gets me up and coming to work every day. Yeah. Even though I'm not driving, you know, uh, 20 minutes to work, I'm walking uh, about 20 seconds from the kitchen with a coffee, cup of coffee in my hand back here to my office. But still, yes, yeah. yeah. being able to get up and get up ready and rolling and going is what gets me up. You know, being able to work in a work in this state. Well, that's fantastic. Listen,
0: I have enjoyed this conversation. Uh, Dr. Ford, thank you so much for your perspective uh, and kind of giving us a a good view of uh, kind of what we can expect down the road long term. But at the same time, I've always uh, ended, you know, my interviews with telling people, the public, our farm and ranch producers, our family farmers are the most resilient people to come back from difficulty. That I've ever met I mean they know that uh, there is going to be a better day I
4: think I think that's right the the optimism uh, uh, that's a, to me a real a, a real a American trade is being able to that with that you know we've got tough times now but being able they being able to, to get to the next uh, to the next uh, phase where we can get through this and you know we all going to have all have rough times but you know we're able to 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 work through this knowing that knowing that we're not alone and knowing that this thing is not gonna last forever. That's exactly right.
0: Well thanks for your time, Dr. Ford. We'll look forward to talking with you again a little bit later on.
4: Thank you, Ken. I've always enjoyed our conversations and hopefully we can get back and talk a little bit more about uh about agriculture and what we're doing what we're doing here in Arkansas.
0: We've been speaking with Doctor Victor Ford. Uh, He's the Associate Director of Agriculture and Natural Resources for the UA System Division of Agriculture on this edition of Arkansas AgCast.
1: That's all for this week's Arkansas AgCast. We'll be back next Thursday with the latest news in Arkansas agriculture.